Deep in the farthest recesses of the most distant jungle lies a city. A city populated by the most mysterious, terrifying, and downright grotesque denizens ever seen by mortal eye. Here, in the darkened corners of this cavernous locale sits an ordinary, average brick building with an innocuous, ordinary, average, blinking neon sign which reads, On Air. It is here where each week, Seth Breedlove and Mark Matsky convene to discuss the greatest mysteries the world has ever known. Now, strap on your hiking boots, grab your trusty walking stick, and don't forget the bug spray as we begin our journey through Monsteropolis. Hey guys, this is Monsteropolis, a show about anomalies, legends, and monsters. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Seth Breedlove. Normally, I would be joined at this time by Mark Matsky, but this is a throwback episode. This was an episode that we recorded in April of last year with director Adam Wingard about Kong versus Godzilla, Godzilla versus Kong, and the paranormal, as well as some filmmaking talk thrown in. Uh, this was originally recorded live in April and Adam after the fact asked us to either edit the episode or hold it until this film was out due to the fact that some of the conversation was not cleared. So uh, this is a very frank look at the making of a movie at the paranormal and uh, I think you guys will really enjoy it. If you're a fan of the show you want to watch us record the show you can become a YouTube channel member of the Small Town Monsters YouTube channel. Uh, we call it Squad. Uh, all the Monstropolis episodes are posting over there in video form. You can watch Mark and I talk to each other. It's very exciting. Uh, there's also Squadcast, which is a YouTube-exclusive podcast where various members of the SCM crew come into the studio and we sit down and talk about uh, legends and filmmaking. I think it's kind of cool. Uh, there's also the Howl of the Rougarou production diaries posting this week. So go watch those. There's going to be seven in total. And we are posting the fourth episode of On the Trail of Hauntings next week. That episode is set at the Canton Palace Theater. you got to be a squad member to watch those. There's a lot going on on squad. There's also Monsteropolis shirts now available on the Small Town Monsters web store. So go to smalltownmonsters.com and go to the shop tab and right in the main page, you'll find the new Monsteropolis shirts. You can pick sizes and colors and all that junk in there. Uh, there's also other shirts we've added. If you're a fan of the show and want to leave us a rating and review, please do that on iTunes. You can also send us mail to monsteropolismail at gmail.com. And I don't know, there's probably something else I need to announce, but I forget what it is. So uh, I hope you guys enjoy this show. We'll be back next week with another episode. And then the week after, we're going to come back and talk about our recent trip to Oregon and Washington, or just Washington. I'm not sure yet. Um, okay, take care. Um, all right. So, so thanks for, 
thanks for agreeing to to do this on insanely short notice but mark and i started doing these like um live not live but uh recorded extra shows like bonus episodes of the show just so we can sort of uh throw extra content out there plus i'm bored out of my mind i don't know I, i'm sure mark isn't but I, i'm i'm just consistently bored so um so okay i don't i didn't obviously prepare a bunch of questions but but uh we've talked and and all that kind of stuff so um tell us uh tell us how things are going uh on air in in la like what what is the what is the where i am there just seems to be like everyone's terrified is that like the general climate in los angeles um you know, I think so. I mean, you know, it's really, it's hard to say because, like I said, like I, I really haven't been out too much. So, you know, my um, my knowledge of how people are reacting to it is more or less um, based around um, people I work with. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, 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 and even them, I'm not seeing them at all now. But before, right before the, the you know, everybody was sent to isolation mode um everybody at work was starting to get pretty freaked out I, i'm i'm personally not very freaked out because i mean a i look at you know who this really affects and i i know that it's not me mm-hmm. you know like i'm more like okay you know i'm trying to respect other people's freak out over it right but, uh, uh, but you know i'm a healthy 37 year old gentleman and um you know like i actually have like a weird suspicion that um that i already had the coronavirus because like in the beginning of January, um, we had uh, like six days of reshoot on the movie and uh, on Godzilla versus Kong. And uh, about two days into it, we were shooting over at Warner Brothers, and I got really sick with exactly the kind of coronavirus symptoms. Like it started with like this sore throat, and it ended, a lot of people on our shoot ended up getting really sick. And I just, it, it, it hit us all really fast and hard. And it really, it was one of those things where everybody was kind of like, man, this is the weirdest flu that we've ever had. And because uh, it just felt different. Yeah. Um, uh, and, you know, so, I mean, and obviously that may sound like a conspiracy, but I, I don't think it necessarily is because it was already going around for in China for two months before that. Right. Right. It November. Started in November. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And over at Warner Brothers, it's just nonstop studio tour. So you just got tourists coming in all the time. So yeah. it makes sense that it could have spread there. Not to mention the fact that, like, literally, you know, you have lots of people from China who are coming over here to Legendary and to Warner Brothers. You know, who knows? You know? Yeah. Um, maybe maybe we already had it. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's no way of knowing because nobody was really keeping count at that point. Because I, I suspect it's, like, a lot worse in terms of the amount that it's actually spread, then, then we definitely know. For sure. And I, I went on that studio tour, so maybe I have it. You know, back in, what was that, 2018? Like, I could be yeah, patient, patient zero. zero. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We've been harboring it this whole time. <laughs> well, I mean, you do travel a lot, you know. You, you, you get around. So yeah. It's yeah. been spreading all across the country. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I, I don't know how much you're even able to talk about that particular project so i don't i don't necessarily and i didn't talk to you too much before we started doing this about about if you're even allowed to talk about it but um i'm gonna throw a question out there if you can't talk about it just be like shut up or something but uh, is how are things going with 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 kong and godzilla 
as people, well, not not the movie. Going... <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's uh, the whole the whole process of making it is going really well. I mean, luckily for us, we 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 already did our kind of you know couple days of pickups um, uh, at the beginning of January, and so that kind of was the last kind of hanging chad that we had in terms of production stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, we had a good solid two months, um, dealing with that and, uh, and we were able to get a, um, our first test screening in. Um, so luckily the amount of work that we're doing now is pretty negligible anyways. Um, cause the, the week that everybody went into isolation, was the same week that we were supposed to have our second test screening, oh, geez. which meant the picture was basically like kind of semi locked at that point for right, right. that test screening. Right. Um, but there's not that much for us to do and everybody's feeling really good about it. We, we can work remotely at this point and it's not that complicated. We just have a couple, we, you know, we have to, we have a lot of VFX stuff that we have to keep going and a lot of those guys can work remotely. Mm -hmm. So that hasn't really slowed it slowed us down fortunately too much and so we should be kind of on on point for that the, the real question for us is like um you know what what is our release date going to ultimately be you know is it going to stay where it is is something going to push us who knows yeah i saw sony delayed like like their entire summer roster of movies to 2021 which is insane when you think <laughs> about the millions if not billions of dollars that are being thrown out the window when they do that totally um, yeah i mean all bets are off right now yeah um, so so i can't even speculate what we're going to do with ours hopefully we can just keep it where it is and it'll just be that but who yeah knows? um mark i'm going to have you jump in here with a question or two because i i don't want to spend too much time on godzilla weirdly enough i really want to talk about like paranormal subjects and and weird maybe some <laughs> unsolved mysteries Okay. questions so mark you can well, hop, sure. hop in all right well um i guess one question i do have adam is um like in it seems like toho is making a renewed push in north america to like get godzilla out there did you how much direct contact if any did you have with the folks at toho studios and did that play into the story that you could tell well, Toho has some guidelines from the start that um, I've never actually read like a piece of paper that says these are things that you can and can't do to Godzilla. Um, but I know that there's definitely things in the air that, you know, certain personality things that you can't do with Godzilla. And, you know, um, so like the, the, there's things like that that were kind of always hovering above us. So we, we kind of knew that we could or couldn't take things in a certain direction based on that. Um, but in terms of Toho's involvement, I mean, you know, like I've met like, you know, all those guys there and the head of the company and, you know, they were on set, uh, here and there. Um, but the, you know, they're very, it, it's, it, it's very much like a separate kind of thing. I think, you know, the, the American Godzilla and the Japanese Godzilla, um, they, they sort of, they leave us pretty much to our own devices in terms of doing what we're doing but they do have input and um so beyond that though it's um they, they kind of just let us um make the movie the way we see fit and then then they kind of weigh in from there that's cool um so the you said that the movie at this point is pretty much locked and and ready to go and um that's you know i think that is i i have a lot of a lot, a lot of Godzilla 
friends and foes online. Uh, <laughs> and, um, you know, they're, they're just, I think hopes are really high for this movie and the things that I've heard around the corner are exciting to me because it's, it sounds like it captures the spirit of what I would call like the fun Godzilla as opposed to mm-hmm. like the super heavy political uh, you know allegorical godzilla and i it just sounds super fun and i i'm just excited and geeking out about november yeah no, I, I, mean, I'm, I'm I, I think it is i think it is going to be fun that's definitely the you know the place that i was kind of aiming more towards with it i mean my favorite godzilla movies really um beyond the first one which is obviously the best and for a lot of reasons but yeah, I'm such a huge fan of the the '60s stuff, um, or the uh, '60s and '70s stuff. Uh, but my my second favorite one, really, I think at this point, is uh, Godzilla versus the Smog Monster, which is just the most bonkers movie. Now our movie yeah. doesn't get that crazy, but the thing I like about that movie, um, you know, is just that it's, you know, Godzilla is one of these franchises where sometimes. Um, it, it, it can kind of run on autopilot, and so some movies have more personalities than others, and uh, and and, and that, that's for a variety of reasons, obviously. But the but the thing about Godzilla versus the Smog Monster is that it really feels like whether you think it's an insane vision or not, it feels like a director's vision, which is what I love about it. And I love the you know just just so many weird things about that movie. Like you remember that one part where it goes into like 200 split screens and they all have yeah. like audio going at once. Yeah. And, you know, there's like the cat sitting on the stairs while yes. there's like all the muck coming down and it's meowing. You know, it's just like yeah. crazy stuff. And also the fights in that one are actually really good because you really feel like it's kind of hopeless. You feel like, well, you know, how is Godzilla going to defeat just a pile of trash that like, <laughs> you know, keep, you yeah. know, reassimilating itself, and uh, you know, I think it's got all the hallmarks of like a good Godzilla fight. But it, at the same time, you know, it, it's still a really fun movie and stuff. But um, you know, because whenever I started doing Godzilla versus Kong, the first thing I did is I sat down and I watched all the Godzilla movies again um, from start to finish. Um, and um, and a lot of them I hadn't seen since I was a kid, so it was a really cool refresher. And specifically, Smog Monster is one that I. Um, only even had vague memories as a kid, so revisiting as an adult was like super cool because it was pretty mind blowing. Um, but uh, it, you know, like going through that, it really you know um, it, you know makes you appreciate what stands out in a good way and a bad, um, you know, pacing wise and mm-hmm. you know um, and all that kind of stuff. So, those movies. I mean, how much <clears throat> how much are you pulling from from the old stuff? for inspiration and how much are you kind of trying to go in a completely different direction? Well, for me, it's like, it's not just pulling from like old Godzilla movies, but you know, I think when people see it, they're going to see references to, um, Clint Eastwood, spaghetti Westerns. They're going to see references to die hard (laughs) and, um, you know, all kinds of different, um, different things like that. And, uh, um, so, you know, but in terms of like the actual like Godzilla references and stuff, it's you know to me to a certain degree it's kind of like it, it's trying to really push it more forward. You know, instead of like going 
you know, like there's like there's like some sort of like intangible tonal things that I really love about those early Godzilla movies and the feel of them and like the colorful look and all that kind of stuff that I think is baked in. But I think by and large, um, you know, we're definitely trying to you know break new ground with them. And you know, especially if you look at King of Monsters, you know, they literally were using you know the original Godzilla themes and you know, and, and in a lot of ways, that film was really like a big callback to a lot of the original movies, so uh, they kind of already beat us to that, so uh, the only way to go forward, uh, as far as I can tell, really, is, um, you know, ahead. So. <laughs> did you did you ever, I mean, when you were, when you were making something like your next, uh, <laughs> did you see this career path? Like, was this, was this, you know, because, like, I think as film, like, I know I do this, I don't know if you're this way, but I try to plan out, like, mm-hmm. where my, where I'm going next. And especially like I mean I'm like today I was yeah. making like this list like three years in advance like where I'm where I'm gonna be like 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 I mean obviously the way Hollywood works you you probably were were talking with people about this a long time ago but but well are but, you are you right now at your uh, at your at your point that you thought you would be three years uh, earlier than now do you think um yeah I mean in a way it's no because I think I, th- I I think I felt like. STM would probably just go under by now. Like, like we'd all, yeah, my wife would be uh, fr- frantically trying to keep us afloat and I would be, I'd be like <laughs> flipping burgers somewhere. So, I mean, like, did you, you know, like, did, was this well, part I mean, of the I mean, path? Like, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, funny enough, I mean, I know this isn't the question really, but, you know, I basically started working on this movie about three years ago. So it's like, right. <laughs> you know, if, if, if anything, it feels like, oh, my God, I can't believe it's still going. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, whenever I did Your Next, I mean, I was terrified of doing movies with that were special effects reliant mm-hmm. films, you know, mainly because, like, I was coming from an indie world, and, you know, it's a real, you know, you know this, it's a, it's a real kind of um, gamble. You're really rolling the dice on, you know, VFX shots, if it's going to look good or bad because you just don't have the money on a smaller movie uh, to, to have the assurance that it's going to come out looking good, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so every time you do it, you, you're kind of always like one foot in one foot out. Okay. If this doesn't work, we can always do this as a backup. And that kind of thing is how I always felt about it. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, it's one of those things where ultimately I don't know where I thought I would be whenever I did, um, your next, I can't really quite remember because that was such a, just like a brutal struggle to get anywhere. Right. Um, like I knew I would be doing, or I knew I wanted to be doing bigger movies, but I didn't know exactly what that meant yet. And, mm-hmm. um, but you know, like the whole reason I got into doing film in the first place, uh, from being a kid was from watching Indiana Jones and star Wars and alien movies and mm-hmm. predator and Terminator and all those things. Yeah. So, you know, naturally, you know, the, the, the original instinct was to do big mainstream, big budget Hollywood films like the one I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but at a certain point, you know, there, there was that kind of breaking point from being a kid to then being a teenager, then, and then going into film school and stuff where I had to start at, at a certain point thinking, okay, well, you know, these may be the movies that, you know, make me want to make films. And these are the films ultimately I want to be doing, but, um, I have to put that on hold for a little while because now I have to start thinking, how can I actually make this into a reality? And the way to do that 
was to start at nothing and figure out how can I make something with nothing. And fortunately, I'd had, you know, when I was in um, middle school, I'd read, you know, Robert Rodriguez's book, uh, Rebel Without a Crew, which, you know, is all about making it's, a movie it's for like, $7, It's like the Bible for, for indie filmmakers, because every single person I talk to that makes movies, we all have, like, some dog-eared, like, paperback version <laughs> of that book. Exactly. It's such an inspirational book, if anything. Yeah. You know, because so many of the methods he uses now, you know, it's so outdated in terms of, like, because he had to go through so many more hoops because it was all on film. And, yeah even just recording the audio is such a pain in the ass and syncing it up. And it's just so painful to read those editorial chapters in it. Cause it just sounds such like a nightmare. Right. Right. But, um, but you know, it's like one of those things where like, it's like, I guarantee you, you, you know, kids reading that today would still find, you know, the same inspiration from it. Cause it's just like, cause basically all that book is saying is movies can be made by anyone on any level. And ultimately if people see that you have talent, Mm-hmm. Um, in the big leads, that's all that matters. Uh, it doesn't even matter if the movie takes you there because who's really seen El Mariachi? Not that many people. Yeah. Um, but Robert Rodriguez was able to move up because people saw the talent that he had there, and it was just because he went out and was able to showcase it in, in a movie. And that's basically what I did too um, with with my first film, which was like a a really cheapo movie um, that I got played at a couple festivals and that helped me meet people who had money. And then they gave me a little bit of money to make a next film. And then each one's been kind of a step up from there until, until now. Can I ask it when a trailer might (laughs) drop? Does that fair? I, I mean, I would ask the same question. I think right now it's because of the, the, the coronavirus, uh, you know, who knows? Um, Right. But uh, so I, I could I could only speculate just as well as you could at this point. Yeah. That's that's an interesting question though, because and I can't remember. I might have talked to you about this when I was out there. How much involvement do you have in like trailers? Well, I'll let you know whenever um, we get into that. You know, like right now, you know, usually on films they you you know the studios usually do their own internal thing mm-hmm. and they get the trailer to a point where they're really happy and they've probably done a gazillion versions before they show it to the filmmaker. Yeah. And in my experience, it's always been in the past films I've done, not saying this one, um, cause I haven't seen a trailer yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that they're working on one, but I haven't seen it. Um, but the, uh, the the past films I've done, it, they always show me the trailer at the very, you know, like when it feels like they, they basically have finished the trailer, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like anytime I've ever given notes on a movie a trailer, that they're kind of like, well, we really like how it is. And you're like, all right, fine, whatever. You guys know best, right? <laughs> and uh, it's kind of like one of those things. Um, but I do know that I heard that there was like some significant input on on some of these, I think it was like the Kong trailer, maybe like, I think maybe Jordan pushed for a certain different type of trailer to be put out right before the film. So I know that they, they listen to that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but, and I'm sure they take notes, you know, um, uh, especially if they line up with, you know, some of the studio's insecurities and, um, but, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to say. I'm not, I'm not really sure. I mean, uh, it's, I guess it's probably different on, on every film and, uh, yeah. Mark, any uh, final Godzilla questions before I move on to the next Godzilla questions? Oh boy, <laughs> your brain—I can see your brain exploding in yeah, your in it, your it's eyes, frying. Yeah, it's leaking out my ears. <laughs> um, well, I don't know. I think you know. Ultimately, 
Yeah, I I have been involved with a, a fan convention for like over a decade at this point called G-Fest, and they meet in um, Chicago oh, every yeah. year. And the people there I know would love to have you out some year if that could if we could figure out how to do that you know i know a lot of things would have to go right but i just oh um, yeah no if- i mean that, that i'm i'm sure that that could be arranged i mean the, the thing is is like you know the the godzilla fans are just super cool they're super you know stoked and you know like uh they've been very nice you know from the very get-go uh, i mean like the last film i did it was kind of like before we even you know really um had gotten anywhere with you know like i think they announced me as a director or something on, on death note and and i had like the fan base already you know shouting at me and you know being crazy and yeah. stuff and, yeah um and and so you know and that one just got worse and worse as it went yeah. you know? mm-hmm. um to the point where it was like you know you're shooting the movie and you're just like man you know sometimes you just had these realizations uh where you're just like you know what like there's there's just a lot of people who are going to watch this and not be happy with it no matter what we do so we might as well just do our version of the film because ultimately yeah. it's like there's people out there right now that have no idea what we're doing or anything and they're already talking about how much they hate it so it's like you know <laughs> yeah. who are we trying to impress here you know what i mean right so, um <laughs> but you know with the godzilla fans it was exactly opposite it was like i got hired to do this thing and i thought like you know like kind of like a damaged spouse or something you know i thought oh god here i go again you know like they're announcing it and like i'm just gonna get all this hate mail about like don't fuck this up and blah 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 and and i really didn't get that at all i mean maybe i got some of don't fuck this up but that in kind of a nice fun way um (laughs) yeah you know like and there's certain people that i hear from all the time on instagram especially where you know, like they're either on Godzilla's side or Kong's side, and either way, they're like, "If Godzilla loses, I'm gonna fucking kill you." Or if Kong loses, you're a fucking idiot. You know, like, and you know, I hear both of those. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. That would be rough, because yeah, there's no doubt. There's a strong opinions either way on that. But so yeah, that'd be cool because they they get. Um, like the original Showa era series, they have uh, like Akira Takarada, who was in the original, has come to G Fest uh, three times, and uh, he's super cool. He loves the fans, and uh, just you know, for people who have seen the all the films like you have, I think it's uh, it's just a blast because well, those people you are know, so and, cool. Well, and I, I think people are going to be really excited about not just what we've done with the movie, but. Um, you know, what we ended up doing with the actual uh, showdown between Godzilla and Kong. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, uh, I think it's going to be very satisfying um, <laughs> awesome. for people. Um, yeah. Okay, so so I did have a question. Like, uh, you've you've been making movies. How how many years have you been making movies, Adam? Like, like including, like, whatever, you know, stuff you were doing in high school or before that. Like, how long has it been since you picked up a camera for the first time and started shooting stuff? I think probably, I mean, like, I think consistently was probably like in seventh grade because that's when I first got a real camera at home. Mm-hmm. Like, I was always interested in it, always wanted to do it. I remember, like, when I was in third grade, I believe I was in third grade, I remember asking my mom after watching a trailer for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, what a, what was the difference? Uh, no, I said, who, I asked my mom, like, who decides 
where to put the camera. Is it a director or a producer? And uh, and she thought it was a producer, so I thought, oh, I want to be a producer. <laughs> um, but uh, then later on, I found out that it wasn't the case. And uh, well, sometimes it is, but um, the uh, you know, like from there, that's when I kind of decided that I wanted to be a filmmaker, definitely, because it was just kind of like a no-brainer for me. It's like I like movies. This is the main thing I obsess over. I shouldn't be making these and. Um, so I, I've basically been going pretty consistent since like seventh grade and, you know, and I dropped out of high school my last year yeah. and, um, uh, and went right to film school. I went to like a trade school called full cell and, um, mm-hmm. I don't know if they like to be called a trade school, but you know, I don't know. That's, that's where Zach, the, the, our director of photography at STM, he went to full cell. Um, but I can't remember. That's I, cool. I think that would have been after like some, at some point after, um, after that. But the, uh, so, so everyone, my favorite question, I don't know why this is, but as a filmmaker, when people ask me this, this is my favorite thing to talk about. What, what movie out of like everything you've made, what, which is like your baby? Cause like we all have our, our baby. So like, which is your baby? Right. Um, it's hard to narrow it down. I mean, I would say like my favorite movies are probably Pop Skull, which is, the first one that I did that, you know, took me off. Um, and then, um, and then, and then from there, it's, I, I, I couldn't possibly narrow it down. I mean, pop skull is the most personal film mm-hmm. that I've ever made. And it's probably one of the least films, uh, scene because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had a really small release, but, um, in a lot of ways that one. And then, you know, in terms of the new one, I mean, like I haven't actually finished this one, so it's hard to rank it, but, um, you know, I, I would say the, the two best films I've done other than the one I'm currently making are probably your next and the guest. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think the guest in a lot of ways would be, uh, number two in terms of a movie that feels really personal, but, but I don't know. I mean, like sometimes I, I mean, I, I, I've revisited these movies over the years and, uh, Sometimes I watch your next, and I'm just like, there's just kind of a purity to your next. It just like everything kind of synced up and everybody's intentions are in the right place. And, um, and, and it just kind of worked out and it's a fun movie. It's got iconic images. I remember it was one of the few films that I've made where as I was on set, I remember a couple of times looking around and feeling like I was, you know, like characters in the, like, uh, the wolf mask and all that, or the fox mask or whatever. And, you know, just thinking like, man, this is like, I'm on the set of like a, you know, what could be like a classic horror movie. It really felt that way. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I had like little, little tiny feelings like that through other films, but not, not quite to the extent of that one. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, probably those. I mean, I, I you know, I, I, Death Note's still a movie that I'm really excited about, but I, I kind of need a couple of more years to go by to, to be able to really, uh, <laughs> accurately match it up to, uh, those other ones. <laughs> yeah. Uh, someone in the chat asked, what kind of camera did you first get in the seventh grade? Uh, let's see. What kind of camera did I get? Um, it was it was a VHSC camera. Um, I can't remember which brand it was. Was it Panasonic? Was it? I can't remember. Like I started on a VHSC camera, um, and that one was cool because it had one of those like you could set it like it had a preset where it had letterbox, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was like, oh wow, this looks like a movie now. <laughs> Because um, you could just kind of overlay that on, but of course it's burned in too. Yeah, um, like that one. And then I got a digital camera that my granddad bought me in uh, high school, 
and that one was a I can't remember it was this tiny little $900 camera which felt like a fortune to me at the time and um, and that was you know a DV cam obviously and then from there I um, I, I borrowed um, people's stuff I didn't really buy anything else after that mm -hmm. um, so whenever I was out of film school um, I'd meet people along the way and you know, get them to let me borrow their cameras, you know, for over the weekend. So, like, whenever they brought up the Panasonic 24C camera uh, or DVX100, um, that was, like, the big turning point because then that was finally, like, okay, you know, you can actually shoot a movie that looks kind of like a movie, you know, and low budget. And that's when I made that movie Pop Skull. And was that adapters and stuff that you were using to get – because that, that was a, a – you said it's a DV. What is that format? DVXC or whatever. Is that one? Yeah, is yeah. that well, one of those like ones? Did you, Did you shoot with interchangeable lenses? And and if so, was that one of those? No, because on the on the yeah, this was a little bit before that came really into fashion. So with Popsicle, okay. it was all just like shot into the camera. And, right. But I had like a kind of a cool methodology for you know treating the footage so it looked more contrasty and cooler mm -hmm. in, in post. Yeah. Um, so it looked really cool, and actually, when you look at the movie now, by today's standards, especially the way DV looks, you know, you know, now like 15 years later, when you look at it, it has kind of this interesting look because it almost looks more like 16 millimeter now because it's like it's not that sharp, mm -hmm. and um, it kind of looks like when 16 millimeters like sort of poorly processed and put onto um, video, yeah, <laughs> um, more than it does actually that it looks like digital. Uh, so it's kind of a cool look, but the only problem is, is it's you know, 720 by 480 image. So the image size is just fucking garbage. So you can't you know, really do too much with that because the pixels are the size of, you know, uh, something big. <laughs> I mean, f 15 years ago, were you edit? What what were you editing on? Well, whenever I was, I mean, like uh, whenever I was in high school, I remember even like in, I feel like it was right when I was in seventh grade around that time. I, um, they started bringing out like programs like you lead video studios pro or something like that. And you know, those were like $90 software things you could buy at CompUSA. Right. So I get that kind of thing. And you, you know, that's how I got started doing it. And then, you know, at some point down the line, like, you know, I convinced my mom to, you know, get me, um, what is the fucking, um, it's not, uh, it was before, um, Oh, premiere, you know, like when premiere was like, yeah, in the nineties, you know, and <laughs> um, in, in the early two thousands, premiere. Um, okay. I guess but that's the difference now. I mean, you know, like whenever you're, you know, I feel like that's like the difference between kind of our generation and, uh, you know, the older film generation is that I think we're, we're part of the first kind of group that, um, that did have the ability to edit, you know, when we were kids, mm -hmm. And so I think it's reshaped sort of the way people think about things. It definitely has for me because I don't know how anybody can make anything. You probably feel the same way without editing their own footage. It's like who wants to do that? <laughs> I, I've never, I've never managed to do it. I can remember shooting short films in in the late '90s on our on Sony Handycams, and and even the editing process was like a a nightmare because we had to plug in the what we did was like we'd plug in the camera to the computer and then there was like you had to get you had to have like a disc running and and that would allow yeah. you to edit but but everything was so slow that there was like a lag between what you were trying to cut and you couldn't really 
like even doing something simple like adding music and stuff under it back then was next to impossible so oh my god i know yeah so, no i mean it was the same with this thing where it was like you literally had to have a piece of like hardware to put in your computer to plug it in or yeah. something and then and then the program itself i mean a the quality was just really low but i from what i remember this one had like you had one channel for the actual audio that comes off the camera, one channel for sound effects, and then one channel for um, music, and you couldn't create any more than that. Yeah. Um, and so you had to kind of fit it all there. There might have been one more, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. There might have been four total, but uh, at most. It was, well, so it felt like a luxury. I don't know about you, but when you're able to get real editing stuff, and you're like, oh, shit. It's funny because like by the time I edited Beast of Whitehall, Beast of Whitehall I did in, in Premiere Elements, which is like a really scaled back version of Premiere. It was like oh, man. it was like for cutting family videos and stuff. And that was actually the same. It was still that same kind of thing. You only have like so many tracks you could actually work with. So a lot of the issues that are uh, in Beast of Whitehall, which was the first thing I edited, uh, that's why. Like it was because I was doing it on this like horrendous like basically you know like family movie editing software so yeah Um, yeah, that's crazy what what got you uh what got you into like so so this is something i found out like when when i came out there and hung out with you and even talking beforehand but like you've always had an interest in this kind of in like the paranormal stuff and and bigfoot and all that kind of stuff what like what got you into all that well, for me, I mean, the thing that got me into it was actually just being in paranormal situations. Um, you know, like, I mean, I, I think before, I mean, it's so hard to say, you know, because when you're a kid, it's like, what's that point of when your memory starts, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Like, because, uh, you know, you know that you can't really remember the first couple of years of your life. But when you do start remembering things, it's like, you, I don't know about you, but I can already remember some of my first moments of memory being like paranoid that there was that I was going to see a ghost or that something was going to be in the room with me. And I remember always feeling like I was in a room by myself that I was being watched and, you know, I get freaked out. Maybe that's just like normal fears you have as a kid, or maybe it's like leftover from something that actually happened to you before you were able to retain your memories. Um, but, you know, growing up in Alabama, you know, this is a place that, you know, it's an old place, and you know the town I grew up in was. It had it was about thirty minutes from Selma, Alabama. It's out in the middle of nowhere. It's called Marion, Alabama. I think they have about twenty five hundred people total in the town, or whatever. And um, it was a very old city, um, and lots of superstition, lots of old buildings, and that kind of thing. And you know, whenever I was in. I don't remember how young I was, maybe around like second or third grade. I, I moved into this house that was um, built in the late 1800s, and it was next door to an old Episcopal church, and the backyard was uh, literally an old Civil War cemetery. So, you know, if I went outside to play, I have like three brothers, we, could, we would always play like hide-and-go-seek out there and tag and, you know, all these kind of things, and... Um, and so the cemetery was our backyard and at the end of the cemetery, it was so old that like the, there was about, I don't know, like 50 to a hundred civil war graves at the bottom of the cemetery. And then from there, there's like a tree line and there's woods in the back. And, um, and basically like, I remember one day as a kid, like going out into the woods with my friends and 
we found we literally found old wooden graves out in the in the in the in the woods mm-hmm. that weren't even you know people didn't even know existed at the church or whatever. So like you know this is an old area with a lot of past, a lot of history, and all this stuff. And the house that I, uh, that I was mentioning, the 1800s one, it was a, for me growing up. It was a huge house. It was massive. It was like because I would always my parents would always you know like I said we had three I had three brothers. We were always kind of moving to these little tiny houses, and this was the first time where we kind of moved into a place that, you know, had three bedrooms or four bedrooms, and you know, it had a big, just living area, you know. Yeah. And um, but the weird thing about it was, is first off, when we moved into the place, um, like right before we moved in, like they they kind of showed us around the the residence, and I remember for some reason we went over there late because it was nighttime and you couldn't really see anything. And I guess maybe they had set off some like bug bombs or something in there, but it was like nothing I've ever seen before or since. But the entire house from every square inch of it was covered in bugs. And they were just like bugs that I'd never <laughs> fucking seen before in my entire life. Like literally like nothing I've ever seen before. I don't know what the hell was going on. Um, and I remember when we uh, first started moving in, um, in my bedroom, I, in my closet, there was like a dead bird in the closet, which is really strange. Which, oh. um, which I can come back around to that because there's, there's a story that kind of relates to that later. But um, so with this house, I mean, you know, it was really funny because like all my friends were always afraid to come and you know hang out because <laughs> we live by a cemetery. And it was really funny, you know, like talking about it at school because, like, I thought it was cool and very casual. But you know, like, I remember like the kids in the class being totally freaked out, like, "Oh, I couldn't live there." And all this kind of stuff. Um, but at first, I didn't really see anything. But the house was definitely creepy as hell. Like, you just like amplified that feeling of something's watching me at all times, kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah. But it wasn't until I think I'd lived there for. I don't, know, I don't really remember how long it was, maybe like a year, maybe less. Um, but I was in bed asleep, and um, and I was facing, like the way you, where you slept on this bed, it's like facing this uh, door, like just a couple feet away from you. And um, I remember I woke up in the middle of the night, this one night, and um, I just had this weird feeling, like woke up, kind of just like sat there for a second suddenly i started having this weird feeling and the feeling in, intensified and it was this weird feeling of almost like euphoria that started you know coming through and then suddenly this um figure just sort of materializes in the door and it's a woman in uh, from at least what i can remember she had some sort of like sort of old-fashioned style dress on um, or traditional, very traditional kind of Southern uh, outfit that you'd go to Sunday school in or something, or um, church. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, this woman, she just kind of floats into the room. I couldn't see her feet, but the feeling was that she was floating because it was so smooth. And it just lasted about maybe like two and a half seconds. But she kind of floats in, comes right towards me, and then just like dissipates just as quickly. And it was just like in a movie, you know, where you can just, you know, it's like somebody just like faded her out, <laughs> yeah. And um, and you know, and I remember sitting there for a minute, being like totally, um, you know, blown away, but also like really energized because I thought that I would be afraid seeing a ghost, and I was so shocked that I was 
exactly opposite. I felt like this weird feeling of euphoria, but I was also just really excited about it. But then after a couple more seconds, I started thinking about it again. And then I started getting kind of freaked out, you know, <laughs> because yeah. then it was like, wait a minute, what's, what's going to happen now? You know, like, so then I started like freaking out because then I was like, if I close my eyes, you know, am I going to open up my eyes and then there's going to be somebody standing over me? You know, where does this end <laughs> kind of thing? Um, so that was like the first encounter that I had. Uh, uh, and, and ever since then, it was, I mean, in some ways I really felt sort of lucky, you know, to, to have seen something um, at that point. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> it just kind of started from there. You, you, uh, how did the bird come back into that? Oh, well, the weird thing about the bird is I, I have a friend who does, you know, he, he's um, very into magical processes. Mm-hmm. And um, he, he dated, he was telling me a story once about this you know, very like kind of witchy woman that he was dating. <laughs> witchy um, woman, yeah. A sorceress. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and, she, and they were doing a, she was doing some sort of intense ceremony. And, uh, as the, as the ceremony went on, I can't remember exactly what order this happened, but basically they started hearing what sounded like a dog barking. And then the dog was getting closer to the house until it was almost right outside the door. But the closer it got, weirdly, the the dog sounded less like a dog barking, and it sounded more like a human imitating a dog barking. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and and then it, at the very crescendo of this thing, apparently, a um, I can't remember if it was a crow or a black bird of some kind. Um, flew out of the closet like apparently like i guess they started hearing a noise in the closet and i opened up the door and there was this bird in there and it flew out um and that kind of stuck with me because i was like well that's kind of weird you know like because like how many times do you hear about birds in closets you yeah. know so it always made me wonder like what the hell is going on at that house in alabama that there's a dead bird in the closet especially after i heard that because I mean, hey how does a bird get in your closet anyways um <laughs> but uh you know, something about that, just maybe that's just my conspiracy brain connecting dots, but um, it seems kind of like a weird coincidence there. <laughs> hey, Adam, we talk about uh, Bigfoot movies every so often on the show. Do you have a favorite Bigfoot movie? Um, let's see. You better, you better watch, watch what you say here. Um, Um, no, you know, I, I guess like probably the, my favorite Bigfoot movie I've seen was Bobcat Goldthwaite's uh, Bigfoot movie. Um, uh, the name of it's like escaping. Willow Creek. um, Willow Creek. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought that one was really good. Like, because I thought that. You know, it was just a fun kind of journey into Bigfoot fandom, but also it pivoted into some pretty good, extremely long set pieces that were very suspenseful. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think that Bigfoot's been done total justice yet. I think that there's still a great Bigfoot movie out there that, that could be made at some point. Yeah. Uh, we're what work- about you? We're working on that right now. Yeah, what about you, Mark? What about me? Well, the go-to always is The Legend of Boggy Creek. And that, that mm-hmm. that's mostly because it took me so long to see it because, it, you know, it was I was stuck between the era of 
everything being on home video and having to try mm-hmm. and catch it on like a, a independent station and stuff like that. And finally I did, I was able to tape it because the station had it on at like 3 a.m. or something. So mm-hmm. I set up the VCR and taped it. And um, yeah, I, I, I wanted to see that movie for years. And when I finally did, it was, to me, a lot of those recreations what they did really well is show as little of the creature as possible, but what you did see was pretty convincing. And um, I still check out that movie because I mean, I've I've heard a lot of good things. I've seen clips from it. I've never actually watched the whole movie, um, so I need to I need to jump in on that. They just know? they just remastered it. So like uh, the the directors Charles Pierce directed it, and Charles Pierce directed the Town That Dreaded Sundown too, and. Um, he, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. his daughter, uh, just finished like r- restoring and remastering the original. So right now, I think it's only available on like DVD and Blu-ray, right, Mark? Yeah, it's coming to just about all the platforms. It's coming pretty soon. Yeah. It might, it might also be on like Apple. It's available on Apple, something like that. That those platforms. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'll give it a, I'll give that a look. Yeah, she did like a full 4K remaster of it. It's supposed to be awesome. I still haven't seen. Honestly, I have concerns about the re- I, I I'm sure it's going to look gorgeous, but one thing I've heard is that you almost see too much of the monster now uh, because they remastered <laughs> they remastered Wait, so it. Like, oh, because of remastering. I thought you were saying they remade it. No, no, she like she like remastered it, and in the original, like the the bootlegs that were floating around, you could not see much of anything, and it really did. Like Mark's right. Like I didn't grow up with that movie, uh, and I didn't even watch it until we were making our boggy Creek monster movie, which kind of, you know, build off of that. And, um, so I didn't have that same like appreciation for it that Mark did, but I did come to really like respect the, the like indie filmmaking of it. And, and you'll know, like when you mm-hmm. see it, Adam, like you'll know what I'm talking about. Cause this guy had never made a movie before. And yet there are shots in that movie that are absolutely like stunning. Like, like some of the, the, <laughs> the landscape shots and stuff are really, really, amazing there are hilariously hokey moments like like music extended musical numbers that come out of nowhere there's there's one musical number that's amazing because it's like it's being told from the point of view of the monster um wait so when you say a musical moment you mean like there's literally songs about what's going on yes in the yeah movie? or people singing? yeah no or it's just yeah. like song, is it is it more like well, there is or, uh, last house on the left or whatever you know where they have like sort of that that soundtrack sort of about the movie, you know. <laughs> it's like it, yeah, it, it, songs that were written ex- explicitly for the movie, yeah. like about characters in the movie and the creature <laughs> itself. Yeah, can, it, if you like, like the smog Dad, monster, Dana, you can all the monster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's the it's the. Um, it's the Godzilla versus the Smog Monster of Bigfoot movies. <laughs> so I think you really should see it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I don't want to keep you too long because I said 45. We're already over, and uh, Mark and I actually have another interview at nine. So, so I don't want to. I don't want to drag this out. But um, uh, thanks for thanks for agreeing to come on. Maybe we can get back, get you back on at some point, so I don't spend the first forty minutes of the show talking about filmmaking stuff that that our audience is probably going <laughs> to want me to shut in, uh, shut up about and talk, tell like scary stories. But um, but, but yeah, thanks for Hi, thanks for uh, for joining.